0: Amen. What a beautiful song. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. As we continue our study through the book of Philippians, we find ourselves in the last little section of Philippians 2. We'll be looking this morning at verses 25 through 30. Philippians 2, verses 25 through 30. In the summer of 1997, I graduated from college and was headed overseas to be a missionary and someone handed me a book and said, as you go, you should read this book It was a book on the life and theology of the famous 19th century pastor Charles Spurgeon The book was titled, The Forgotten Spurgeon Now, when someone handed me that book, I had no idea whether I would read it or what implications it would have on my life But I can say now that that book was the right book at the right time. That happens sometimes. Someone hands us a book, and it was just the right book at the right moment. And so that book was for me. I devoured that book multiple times. God really used it to shape my life. And there's one quote from that book that I remember more than any others. This was 21 years ago, and I still remember this one quote. It was written 130 years ago in 1888 by Charles Spurgeon, And listen, here is what it says. Listen carefully. It is today as it was in the Reformers days. Decision is needed. Here is the day for the man. Where is the man for the day? We who have had the gospel passed to us by martyrs' hands dare not trifle with it, nor sit by and hear it denied by traitors, who pretend to love it, but inwardly abhor every line of it. Look, you sirs, there are ages yet to come. If the Lord does not speedily appear, there will come another generation and another. And all these generations will be tainted and injured if we are not faithful to God and his truth today. We have come to a turning point in the road. If we turn to the right Mayhap our children and our children's children will go that way. But if we turn to the left, generations yet unborn will curse our names for having been unfaithful to God and to his word. Now every line of that is powerful and moving, but I have to tell you that as I read that, 20 something years ago, the one line that stuck out to me more than others is this simple question. Here is the day for the man, but where is the man for the day? Now, that was 130 years ago, but I'm not sure that question is not any more needed today than it was back then. Today is the day for the man, but where is the man for the day? I think all of us would agree that We seem to be in a bit of a shortage of good, faithful, strong, godly men. I think we would all agree that we live in a day in which we desperately need them. We're in a short supply of them. We live in a day in which it seems to even be questioned on what a godly man is. Frankly, there's questions on what a man even is. But yet we live in a time in which we're in desperate need for them. And we live in a time in which there are so many young men walking around who have never had an example of a godly man. With all of the broken homes, so many young men grow up without ever seeing an example of what it means to be a man of God. And the question still rings in my ear today, What, where are the men for the day? Listen, in order for us to ask that question and call out these men... It seems to be important to define what a godly man is. I mean, listen, it is, it is at the very core the job of the family to raise up godly men. Now, that's the job of the family. The family is to be the place in which godly men are raised and taught, loved and nurtured and challenged to be brave and courageous and faithful with the word of God. But Yet because of the breakdown of the American family, The church's role has even more significance. Not only to come alongside good families and to help them know how to equip their children, but to go into the homes of broken families and say, Listen, I know there's not an example there for you, but we want to provide you with examples in the church and help make up for what may be lacking in your situation. That is exactly what the text of Scripture does for us today. It gives us not only an example of what godly men are, But it calls these men out. Through the example of a man named Epaphroditus, who had come from Philippi all the way to Rome to minister to Paul on behalf of the Philippian church. And now Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this letter we hold in our hands. And he sends back with him a commendation of Epaphroditus. Listen to what he says and look with me at Philippians 2, starting in verse 25. If you have that open in your Bible, say amen. Amen. Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Meaning, there at the very end, that the Philippian church wanted to minister to Paul, but they were not able to minister to Paul. And so Epaphroditus sent a gift from the church to Paul. And Epaphroditus was ministering to Paul on their behalf, finishing, completing what was lacking in their service. Now, the key is found there in verse 29. Because it says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy, and here it is, and honor such men. Now that word honor doesn't just mean to respect them and admire them, and certainly that's true. What Paul was saying, listen, Epaphroditus is coming back, respect him. He is a a good man. But he's saying more than that. To honor someone is to, to hold them up as an example, to hold them in the highest regard, to... To say, this is a person worthy of imitation. And it's going to be in Philippians 3, verse 17, in which Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul's saying, listen, I've been an example for you, so, so watch me. And there are others that have been an example, so watch them. God in his grace has provided us examples of, of godliness. And so it is, Paul is saying, Epaphroditus is one of them. So honor him, lift him up, show him as an example. Now, this is a text about men. But I want to be very clear, this is not simply a text for men. Because the Apostle Paul is writing to the church, filled with men and women, boys and girls, and he's saying, listen, Epaphroditus is coming back to you. Church as a whole, men, women, boys, girls, honor him. Lift him up as a worthy example. Show him as someone worthy of of imitation. And that word honor, honor such men, is a command. So Paul is commanding the whole church, men and women, to be a part in lifting up this example of a godly man so that he might motivate the other men in the church, even the young boys in the church, to see an example of what it means to walk with God. So this morning, I am going to preach a sermon about men, but it's a sermon in which every person in the church needs to hear. Now, before we dig into this, I, I, I want to say something to the brothers and the sisters, and can I, can I just say this kind of just as a side? We use the word brother so often, and that's that's good. We should, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But isn't it interesting, we don't usually refer to the women in the church as sisters. You know, I, I think that's unfortunate because by referring to the women in the church as sisters, it does remind us that we have a connection to them. That they're not just women in the church. They're our sisters. And, and, and when I think about a sister... It, it, it stirs something up inside of me, a desire to be more faithful, to love them and encourage them and protect them. So it is, I, I think it's a worthy thing to refer to both brothers and sisters. But sisters, listen to me. I, I want to say a couple of things to you. God is, is really stirring something in my, in my soul for you. I, I talked to Andrea about it this last week. We were away and I, I said to her, you know, it seems to me that particularly in this day and age, although it should always be this way, A core value of a church needs to be to bless the women. I I just want you to know it is deep inside of my heart for this to be a place in which you are encouraged and protected and valued and honored and loved deeply. I want you to feel deeply encouraged and deeply loved and deeply honored and deeply valued and deeply protected by the men of this church. That is exactly how it should be in the church of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something that may seem odd, but I assure you this is true, given all of the Word of God and what it teaches us, that in the presence of godly men, in a church that is biblically saturated and Holy Spirit-led and God-centered, in that place, women thrive. In the presence of godly, faithful men, women thrive. And so it is one of the marks of a godly man is that he is speaking life into the women and the sisters around him. It is certainly true that a society and a nation and a family goes as well as the men go. And so sisters, all of us benefit from the presence of godly men. And can I say, because this matters so much to you, as we're walking through this text this morning, can I just speak to you, sisters, and say, encourage the men around you. We're going to look at some marks of a, of a godly man this morning, but, but can, I just, can I just tell you, there's only been one perfect man, and you're not married to him? <laughs> His name was, was Jesus Christ. And so it is that every man in this room, if he's a believer, is in progress. He he, he should be striving. And what he needs from you is your encouragement and your blessing. Affirming the good things you see in his life and motivating him and encouraging him, which I believe will lead to a life in which he is more faithfully blessing and encouraging you. But sisters, please know this. I love you deeply and I long... And I'm praying about how this church can be a place that loves you and treasures you and encourages you to be all that God has called you to be. Now, brothers, my goal this morning is to encourage you. I, I want to lift up an example not to defeat you, but to give you something to strive toward. As the ultimate man is, is Jesus Christ, and we're all striving towards that. This seems to, to give us a little bit more clarity in what that man looks like. I, but I don't, I don't want to defeat you. I, I want you to feel encouraged this morning to... To recognize that you're not this man, but, but you want to be this man. And so start making some steps in the right direction. I love 1 Corinthians 16, 13, where it says, be watchful, stand firm. I love this verse. And act like men. Meaning, there's a way men act and there's a way men don't act. There is actual biblical manhood. And there is a call to act like a man. So men, I'm calling you from scripture to act like men so the question is what are these such men that we are to honor the such men that we are to strive to be and so what I want to say to you this morning is I want to use the five words that Paul uses right here all in verse 25 to describe Epaphroditus and then I'm going to add an adjective to every one of them but it's an adjective that I believe comes from the spirit of the text these five words, here they are, brother, worker, soldier, messenger, and minister. Now let's look at those as five marks of an honorable man. Please write this down. Five marks of an honorable man. Just, I just say one more thing too. I, this is a subject I'm passionate about, so I'm afraid I'm going to keep doing this. But let me say something to, to the younger ladies in the room that are hoping Uh, To be married looking for a man maybe the older ladies in the room you're looking for a husband can I can I just say This would be something great for you to write down and say god Would you somehow in your grace at least give me a man that wants to be this man? And pray these things and can I just say to those of you who are married pray these things for your man Pray these things for your father for all of the men in your life. All right, here it is. First of all A genuine brother write that down a genuine Brother Paul says, I've thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. And here's his first description, my brother. Now, I, I think if we're just reading the text, that's not going to mean much to us, because brother is one of those words that we just kind of throw around all of the time without thinking much about it. I'm headed to the Southern Baptist Convention this weekend, and uh, this is a, a, a term that's going to come in very handy, because I'm going to see a bunch of people whose names I shouldn't remember, but I don't. And praise God that I'm a Christian, to say, well, hey, brother, man, good to see you. It's really handy for, say, let's, let's think of a, a context here. Let's uh, say a new pastor who should know your name by now, but he doesn't. And he can just say, hey, hey, brother. Man, it's so good to, to see you this morning. So it does come in handy. But Paul is not using this simply in that casual manner. Listen to me. Every time in the New Testament... The word brother is used, it is used to refer to someone who is a brother because they're a part of the family of God. As a matter of fact, we should be very careful not to use the word brother to refer to someone who is not a part of the family of God. The reason a man is a brother is because he has been adopted into the family of God. That he is chosen by faith to trust in Jesus Christ alone as the way to get to the Father. And by his repentance and faith and trust in Jesus, he has been brought into the family of God. And now he has God as his Father in Hebrews 1, Jesus as his brother. He has been brought into the family of God. And so to call someone a brother is to refer to them as a family member. Now think about where the Apostle Paul says, I've spent time with Epaphroditus. I've heard his confession, and I've watched his life, and I can say with full confidence, as far as I can know, this side of eternity, Epaphroditus is my brother. He's not just saying he's my friend, or he's my buddy, or I like him. He's saying, I know and I'm convinced that he is actually a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you what that causes me to ask as a man. Do those who spend time with me and know me have confidence that I'm a true believer in Jesus Christ? Can they say, he's a brother. I know he's a brother. I, I, I watched his life. I hear his confession, and, and he's a brother. You see, I... I think given the time in which we live, and particularly the place in which we live, I'm not sure there's any message more important than this one, because we live in the land of good old boys. And I think about that old Southern Gospel song that says, good old boys, don't make it into heaven. Good old boys, don't wear a crown. There is this idea in this context that if you're a good old boy, you, you, know, you go to church, and you love your family, and you work hard and do the right things, then you're okay. You're one of us, and you're a brother, and I just want to say... That heaven is not going to be filled with good old boys. Heaven is going to be filled with those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. We have to be careful. As men, not to think, well, listen, I I take my family to church. I do the right things. I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. Listen, I cannot tell you how many funerals I've done where I've gathered around with a family who stood over the casket of a father or the brother, and they actually, after 50, 60, 70 years, were not sure that they knew Jesus. Well, he went to church, but I just, based on his life, I can't give that confidence. Brothers, let me say to you, the greatest gift that you can give your family is an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't care if you don't ever get them into the select sports, if you don't ever provide them with all the financial issues. None of that matters more than this. If you give them your walk with Jesus Christ, you've given them more than anyone else can ever give them. That's what matters. Paul is saying he's a genuine brother, and my encouragement to you at the foundation of everything is be sure, men and women, of your relationship with Jesus Christ, and make sure it's obvious. A genuine brother. The next one is this. Not only a genuine brother, but a kingdom worker. A kingdom worker. He says, I've thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, and here it is, my fellow worker." Now, I I think it's important just to acknowledge the fact that Epaphroditus was known as a worker. He was not afraid of of work. Paul said, listen, he came to visit me, and he worked. When I lived overseas for uh, a few years, I hosted mission trips over and over. And pastors would come, and worship pastors would come, and student pastors would come and bring their students. And, And honestly, I could not write back to every one of the churches and simply say, they were a worker. The church is filled with lazy people. But here, here, here's what Paul said. Epaphroditus, he's a worker. He's active. He's engaged. He is not passive. He is willing to work. One of the primary things the enemy wants to do in the life of a man is make you passive. He says, no, no, no Epaphroditus is a worker. No, he works. He works hard. But not only that, I think more significantly, he says he's a fellow worker. It means that he's not just busy, he's not just working, he's engaged in the work that Paul is engaged in. He's a kingdom worker. He's involved in gospel work. This word worker is used 13 times in the New Testament, 12 by the Apostle Paul. Listen, and every single time it's used in the New Testament, it refers to someone who is involved in kingdom gospel work. Now, this doesn't mean you have to be in full-time vocational ministry. It simply means this. You are applying effort into work that matters for eternity. Enough so that Paul could say Epaphroditus, he's a, he's a fellow worker. He's interested in the kind of work that I am doing. He uses the exact same phrase in Philippians 4.3. When he says, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. Together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. An honorable man is not just a hard worker. Listen, an honorable man is someone who works hard at the right things. I'll tell you something interesting. I I did an extensive study of the book of Proverbs a few years ago and You know, the Proverbs teaches us through its characters. There's all these fascinating characters. you got the fool and the glutton and the drunkard and the gossip. And it kind of teaches us as the father sits down with the son and says, I want to tell you about these characters and who to attach yourself to and who to avoid. And as I was studying all these characters, I noticed one was absent that I thought thought for sure would be there. Do you know there's no mention in the Proverbs of a workaholic? But yet it seems to me that In our culture, there are a lot of men who are workaholics, and it seems like that would be addressed. And it would seem to me during this time it wasn't any different. There there would have been people who were workaholics, who neglected their family because they spent too much time at work. And as I thought about it and studied the scripture, what I realized is this. Listen carefully. The reason the Proverbs doesn't mention a workaholic is because there's actually no such thing. A workaholic is simply a sluggard at home. You see he's a man who loves to work he just doesn't work hard at the most important things so there's no such thing we have all kinds of people we say well this is a a faithful hard worker and my question is are you working hard at the right things this is a constant challenge for me i'm a driven man who loves this church and is passionate to see it reach its potential and if i'm not careful i can give my hardest work to you And my least amount of work to those at home. The sad reality of that would be, I'm not always going to be your pastor, but I'm always going to be Andrea's husband and the father of these five kids. They deserve my hardest work. A kingdom worker working hard at the right things. Men, are you working hard at your marriage? Are you working hard for your children, for your church, for your moral purity, giving your best effort to the things that matter most? A genuine brother and a kingdom worker. Let me give you the third one. Write this down. A genuine brother, a kingdom worker. The third one is this. An honorable man is a courageous soldier. A courageous soldier. He says, Epaphroditus is my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. A courageous soldier. Now, there are are a lot of times in scripture in which it seems that the idea of worker and soldier are synonymous. And so I'm wondering, why is it that Paul makes a distinction? Why does he say Epaphroditus is not only a fellow worker, but he's a fellow soldier? I just thought, well, what is the difference between a worker and a soldier? And I think, I think the difference is this. It is the willingness, and not only willingness, but the actual doing of engaging in battle. So it's one thing to be a worker. It's another thing to be a soldier, someone who is willing to engage the battle, to take on difficult, life-risking, courage-demanding assignments. Now, think with me here for a minute. Look here. Imagine the assignment that was given to Epaphroditus. So here's what happened. At some point, the Philippian church was gathering together, and they loved Paul. We've already talked about that. They, for the last 10 years, have been supporting him. Paul is now in a Roman prison, and he needs help. He needs encouragement. He needs money. And they need someone uh, to take that uh, to Paul. And so they gather together as a church, and they say, okay, here's the deal. We need someone to take a message uh, to Rome, to the apostle Paul. And you think, well, man, I, you know, I'd love a little vacation. That would be nice. And then you realize the way in which this works. Here's how it works. If all the roads are clear and there's nothing that hinders your way, this is at the very least an 800-mile trip. It is most likely about a 1,500-mile trip. You take 350 miles by one Roman road, maybe by donkey, most of it probably by foot, then you go 85 miles across the sea, then you get off and go another 350 miles by another Roman road. Given the absolute perfect conditions, mean no rain, no hindrances, no bad weather, nothing, making perfect time, you could make it in six weeks. The average time it took to make this trip, listen, was three months. Three months of walking, three months of journeying, three months of mostly sleeping outside, of extended period of time of being at sea, and they're looking for volunteers. And somehow, Epaphroditus raised his hand. I kind of see this as that Andy Griffith episode where Barney's sleeping during the sermon and just kind of pipes up every once in a while and says amen normally at the wrong time. You, you just kind of wonder maybe Epaphroditus was dozing off. And they said, we need a volunteer. And he goes, and he had no idea what he just volunteered for. Next thing they hand him a backpack and he goes. But I don't think it was that way. I, I think the fact is, is, is they believe that this is a man who could do this. And think about what it would take to volunteer for an assignment like this. And not only this, look at verses 26 and 28. He's been longing for you all, and he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So Epaphroditus has been sick. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Meaning Paul said, I've already got sorrow because I'm in prison. Epaphroditus dies, sorrow upon sorrow. I'm more eager to send him, therefore, that you might rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. Here it is. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Risked his life for this one assignment to take this financial gift to the Apostle Paul and a message of how the church was doing. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Proverbs 28.1. If you were going to my office, you would see a large painting of a lion and uh, all kinds of lion things. And it's because Proverbs 28.1 says this. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. That as you walk with God and God fills you with his spirit and God fills you with his word, there is a courage that wells up inside of you and a willingness to do hard things for Christ. What it's saying here is he's not only a worker He is a courageous soldier risking his life to do the right things And so men I challenge you be willing to do the hard things Take on the hard assignments Have the hard conversations Make the hard decisions Stay with your wife Stay with your family Do those things which demand courage A man worthy of honor is a courageous soldier Can I I just say too I think going back to what we said about the sisters, I think honorable men are fighting for their sisters. They're fighting for the honor and the blessing of the women in the church. We're fighting on their behalf. We're for them. And you you, you should have in the church this this army of women who feel as if they have an army of men behind them and encouraging them and blessing them and supporting them and protecting them. Every woman in the church should feel safe and protected because there are men in the church who are behind them and have them and are saying, listen, listen, we've got this. We're with you. So it is the church is in need of courageous soldiers. So there is a genuine brother, a kingdom worker, a courageous soldier. The fourth one is this, a faithful messenger. Write that down. A faithful messenger. It says, Epaphroditus is my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, and your messenger. Now, he has been saying fellow. He starts with my, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier. And now he, he changes to say he's your messenger. Meaning that he is the one you sent on this mission to accomplish your purposes. Two purposes. Number one, take a financial gift, which we know from Philippians 4 was a large financial gift. So think about the journey. Not only traveling, most likely three months alone, but you're traveling with a large financial gift with you. They're not wiring the money. Epaphroditus is the wire. He's carrying the money. But the other key issue is this, and this is the whole context of Philippians... They're trusting Epaphroditus to take a right message about the church in Philippi to the Apostle Paul. Do you realize every bit of this letter is written based upon what Paul heard from Epaphroditus about the condition of the church? That's the only reason we have this letter. Epaphroditus came and gave a message. So it matters that the message was correct and right. And so it is that they not only trusted Epaphroditus with the money, they trusted him with the message. That word messenger is the exact same word for apostle. Someone who is sent. Someone who goes on behalf of someone else like an ambassador to take a message from someone to give to someone else. So Jesus had his apostles in the exact same way. What it's saying is the church at Philippi had this apostle, this sent one. Not an apostle in the official term, but someone who sent on their behalf to deliver this message. He was their messenger to deliver their news. Now listen, I, I, we hear a lot these days about presence of fake news. I don't, I don't know if you've heard about this. There's people talking about this. Have you heard about this? <laughs> uh, it's kind of new, but... Uh, our president loves to talk about fake news everything's fake news fake news fake news You know, I, I feel like that's kind of a new thing that's come up But I gotta tell you something. I am the grandson. Well, I'm the great-grandson the grandson and the son of a preacher I've been in church my entire life. I've been in ministry and around ministry my entire life Fake news is nothing new. CNN did not start the fake news We had fake news before anyone had fake news. All right the church loves fake news we just called it gossip, right? The church loves fake news. Everybody loves a juicy story, and they love to tell it and embellish it a little bit and a little bit more and make it a little bit something else, like that telephone game. We invented that too, right? And we love the fake news. But it was absolutely imperative that Epaphroditus get the right story and deliver the right story to the Apostle Paul, and that's exactly what he did. And again, as a man, it calls me to ask the question, am I, someone who is regarded as faithful with the Word of God, faithful with what's been entrusted to me, a faithful messenger with every little assignment. It doesn't matter if it's a big assignment or a small assignment, if it's given to me, it's going to be accomplished and it's gonna be done right. I wanna be that man. A faithful messenger, a man that the church would choose if we had. To go on a mission like this, not only who's someone who's courageous, but faithful with the truth, a faithful messenger. The last one is this, not only a faithful messenger, but a humble minister. Are we okay? Do we need medical assistance? Y'all yes. good? Great. Thank you. Thank you all. Great job. All right. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Let me give you this last point. We'll be done here in just a couple of minutes. The last mark of an honorable man is he's a humble minister. A humble minister. Your messenger, and listen, here it is. I love this. And minister to my need. You see, think about this. They not only needed to send someone who was courageous enough to make the journey and faithful enough to communicate the message, but listen to this. Listen carefully. Someone who would be encouraging to Paul when he got there. That's, that's not always a given, Okay. It's not always a given that the courageous, faithful person you're going to send encourages the person they go to see. This is, this is more of a rare thing than you would imagine. That Paul is saying, listen, Epaphroditus came and he refreshed me. He was a minister to my need. Paul was saying, I feel better because Epaphroditus was there. He ministered to me. What an amazing thought, even so much so that Paul says, listen, if something were to happen to Epaphroditus, I would have sorrow upon sorrow because he's a dear man to me. He encouraged me. And that word minister, see it there, a messenger and a minister, is is really a word for servant. It is a word that is almost always used to refer to the priestly service, meaning it's a work done on behalf of God in the service to someone else. So what a priest would do is stand on behalf of God and minister to someone else. So what Epaphroditus does is he went on behalf of the Lord and the church in Philippi to minister to the needs of the Apostle Paul. Sacrificial service of giving himself for this purpose. Listen, what did Epaphroditus have to gain from taking this mission? I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything Epaphroditus gained in taking, listen, not only six months there or three months there, but three months back... Risking his life for this mission, he did it for one reason, to minister to the Apostle Paul. Out of obedience to the call of Christ, and I say that he was a humble minister because this was a call to selfless serving on behalf of someone else. In the same way that Jesus emptied himself, Philippians 2.7, and Paul poured himself out, Philippians 2.17. In Philippians 2.25, Epaphroditus is giving himself for the purpose of humbly ministering to the Apostle Paul. Now, men, here's the last thing I'll say. There is, I think, something in all men that feel that somehow we have the right to be served. And what I want to say to you is that a mark of a godly man is his willingness to just humbly serve. To serve. I mean, whether, whether you are served or not, to simply say, I'm going to give myself to humbly serve. When, when there may not be anything in return. When it's not simply to receive something else, but Epaphroditus is a man who went on a mission and gave himself for the humble service of someone else when it got nothing back for him except the simple joy of Christ's likeness. Men, don't demand anything. Give everything. And count others more significant than yourself. Let me just say this and we'll be done. I have been so grieved... Uh, recently, there has been so much news recently about men who have just fallen in the ministry. After years and years of faithfulness, they've just either made dis- bad decisions or moral failures. Uh, in the last month, there have been four, all friends of mine, um, and this is, this is not just pastors, but people related to seminaries that have all been released because of some uh, moral issue. I mean, two, listen, two very close friends. And all all except for one of them were toward the end of their ministry. So a pastor friend called me the other day, and he said, you know, we're getting to the point where if you want to be a great man of God, the only thing you have to do is just finish well. You know, I think for for young pastors, I want to accomplish this and this and this, and I want to see this happen and this happen. I think what I'm thinking now, I just want to make it to the end. Being faithful and walking with Jesus and not being ashamed or putting my family or my church into shame. Just finishing well. Men, here, here's what I want to say to you. You're on a journey towards Christ-likeness. None of you are the man you want to be. I am so far from being the man I want to be. But I want to plead with you to simply make progress. To walk with Jesus today. To be a better man today than you were yesterday. To simply moment by moment say, God, I just, I just want to finish I just want to finish faithfully. I just want to get to the end. And those who gather around my casket can say, he knew Jesus. And he walked with Jesus. And he made progress. He was not perfect. But he made progress. He confessed to sin. He did what was right. He walked with Jesus. And he was faithful to the end. my God, I pray that I would be that man. That we would be a church filled with those men who simply do the right Things They're becoming the men that God wants them to be. And let me just tell you this. There is nothing that God will not do with a family or with a church filled with men who are striving towards godliness. Not only are our sisters thriving in that environment, but the church and society are striving in that environment too. So somehow by God's grace and for God's glory, may we be those men. Amen.